Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Okay, episode 270, live from Wizard World Madison 2019. Today we're talking about I See Dead People, the 20th anniversary of Sixth Sense and the paranormal influences. Um, I, first of all, the fact that that movie is 20 years old is making me feel tremendously old <laughs> yeah. right now myself. Uh, considering 1999, the turn of the millennium um, was like that. It was like, oh my God, the future is here. And then the future came and went, and still no jetpacks or rocket cars. Um, but we do have the little, yeah, we, uh, you know. We do have the entire, like, <laughs> sum of the world's knowledge in our hands at all right. times. And we can take pictures of ourselves <laughs> and show them to all our friends across the world instantly. Um, I was excited today because I was like, I have the chance to take a picture with Lou Ferrigno today. <laughs> and that's like, oh, my God, it's, Lou, it's the Hulk. <laughs> You know, like, I remember when Mr. Rogers went to go see the Hulk and everything, and now, like, I can be... Just don't make him mad. Right. That's the whole, <laughs> like, the whole thing's over if I make him mad. Um, but, okay, the first reaction on seeing The Sixth Sense, um, I remember seeing it probably... I saw it the Sunday it came out in 1999, and uh, I went to go to University Square, which was uh, a theater here in Madison. If you were a student, you could see a movie for $4 at any time. So I'd see a movie, like, three times a week, and went to go see it, and I remember being um, viscerally scared as I walked home from University Square. As in, so it was me and my girlfriend at the time, um, and we're walking up the stairs to my apartment, and it's completely dark, and it's not even that late or whatever. And you know, the sixth sense isn't even that gory. Um, I mean, there's the one thing where you well, see the, the back of the dude's head. No, there's there's quite a few people with. I know, but Blood. I was I was used to movies with like a chainsaw cutting off yeah. a guy's arm, and you know, so the the Sixth Sense was just like it was like a nice horror movie, and yet I've been more scared afterwards <laughs> than anything I'd ever seen. Um, as we were walking up the steps, it was dark, and I remember like thinking, "What am I going to see when I open up my door?" Like I thought I was going to see a dead person when I opened up my door, but the only thing that happened when I opened my door was um, I, I saw a dead relationship. Oh, wow. Hey. <laughs> All right. So, so Wendy, uh, what, was your, what was your first reaction? Yeah, the movie, I, I actually, I couldn't believe when I watched the movie when the big reveal happened at the end, which... Wait, spoiler alert. You guys, you guys all seen Sixth Sense, right? Okay. All right. Okay. Because we're going to spoil it anyway. But here it is. <laughs> it's kind of necessary for this discussion. But uh, yeah, when, when the, the reveal happened at the end, I felt like... How did I not see that all along, you know, the whole entire movie? How did I not know? We're talking about the fact that Bruce Willis is dead, right? right. Not the fact that, like, her grandma's dead. No, just the, the Bruce Willis. Like, I thought he was alive. And then it, it seems so obvious when she drops the ring at the end and he has that whole moment of coming to realize that he's not actually, you know, no one, only Cole is seeing him. Right. And so, but yeah, no, that movie spooked me big time. And it really got me thinking about, you know, people who experience things in haunted houses and what is that really like we don't often define it as a specific person but then just thinking that mm -hmm. oh, maybe yeah. it's not somebody you know but maybe it's someone else looking for help from someone here all of those things very very make you think kind of movie yeah no it, it really was one of those things and first of all it was nice and slow because if you guys remember the late 90s um 
it would just come off a of scream. And so scream came out in 1996 and after scream, like it was back to slashers and it was back to like teenage kids being in trouble and great gore shots and, and scary movies. And so all of a sudden when movie, like you have a movie that's super slow that nobody's just getting recklessly stabbed or anything cut off. Um, you're just like, okay, when is the other shoe going to drop? Yeah. So I think some of the tension at the same time was accomplished by the fact that you didn't really know um, when something horrific was going to happen. And you didn't know also if the kid was crazy or not. I think right. That- I think that really helped, like, because in the beginning, you're like, well, it might be a, like, this might, like, Bruce Willis might turn into a psycho at any time. Yeah. And it's also disturbing that really the only gory stuff, you know, people bleeding or missing parts of their head or things like that is only seen by the child in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. none of the other grownups are experiencing it. So it's just like thinking about it through that standpoint of if I were a child and I saw something like that, I mean, I don't think I even saw horror movies with that kind of gore until I was well, well over Cole's age. Oh man, I, uh, my dad let me watch the thing with him when he rented it from the, he watched John Carpenter's thing when I was like seven. See, I guess I was more sheltered. And he remembered, because he had seen the original thing from another world from 1951 with James Arness and it's like this, the, the creature effects aren't spectacular, let's say. And so he remembers watching that as a kid, and he's like, oh, well, the thing from another world wasn't that scary, so we can watch this new thing. And we're watching it, and like when the dog's head like rips open and the thing, oh. thing comes out, I'm like openly weeping. Yeah, when you're, <laughs> just, when you're a little like, kid. Oh, yeah. God, Dad! You and, don't know what to expect in that kind of thing. It's like... Yeah, and he's like, he was watching. He's like, this movie's <laughs> awesome. What's, what's wrong with you, boy? And, that, and that's why we're here today. That's the beginning. It's the uh, beginning of it all. Probably to discuss psychiatry. Um, no, <clears throat> but we talk about the influences behind the sixth sense and uh, especially some of the real life paranormal influences. Um, number one, I'm surprised 20 years later uh, when you see uh, Vincent Gray, who's the guy that kills Bruce Willis's character, um, when you see him show up, like it's Donnie Wahlberg from the new kids on the block. Like, he's like, you weren't hanging tough enough, Bruce, and I'm going to pop you. Yeah, but he doesn't have the mullet, and he's like 50 pounds lighter, so. Right. He lost 43 pounds in order to play uh, this character, to seem emaciated, to seem desperate, to seem crazy. And he certainly is effective. Yeah, very. Um, And so, and also, originally, he was supposed to be buck naked. So Donnie, he wasn't supposed to be in his tidy whities. He was supposed to be naked. Ah, interesting. Um, But in order to keep the PG-13... Ah, sure. To keep the PG-13 rating, we didn't get to see little Donnie. But the fact that Donnie agreed to that role, you know, that's a pretty, like, intense role to play. Well, even in Tidy Whitey's, let alone (laughs) naked, like, to, you know, sign up for that. He's only in there for about seven minutes of the film, and then it ends up being, uh, you know, something you really remember. But he was trying to get himself to be taken seriously as an actor. And one of the things, I mean... Great, act, it seems like great actors always love to lose weight for a role, and that's how we respect them. Christian Bale lost like 50 pounds for The Machinist. Um, and when you see him in that movie, you're like, oh my, like, you're like, you, you feel like Christian Bale's like mother in law or something. Somebody feed that boy. You know, you're just watching, you're like, oh my God. Um, there, uh, Robert De Niro lost and gained a, a huge amount of weight for Raging Bull. Um, Tom Hanks and Castaway. Tom Hanks had to lose and gain so much weight in Castaway that Robert Zemeckis went and filmed another movie. Um, oh, the one with Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford where he kills her. 
it's not that great of a movie. It, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah. Like, we, it's, it's like it's a ghost, you know, but it's not as good as, we remember Castaway, um, but he shot a movie in between the different uh, uh, schedules for Castaway so that Tom Hanks could lose and gain the weight necessary for the role. So Donnie Wahlberg, uh, he didn't just want to be the new kids guy. Otherwise, we'd think of him like we think of Jordan Knight or whatever. Well, and plus, like, the movie would not start off on that serious tone if it's like, whoa, whoa, I'm going to shoot you. Like, <laughs> I, would, I would watch that film. Um, but the thing is, so psychiatrists being killed by their patients is actually a fairly serious yeah. thing. Um, and this is from the Washington Post in, in 1990. It says, about a half a dozen studies, uh, including a 1976 report from the University of Maryland, suggested an estimated 40% of psychiatrists are assaulted at some time in the course of their career, primarily when they're young, uh, but you know, by patients, 80% of psychiatric nurses, 20% of social workers, and 10% of clinical psychologists are attacked by a patient at one time or the other. So like, that was the first thing. Like, being a psychiatrist is a dangerous job. Um, in addition, you're playing with somebody's mind, like they can kill you. And right. so like, that was like, that's, that's going to be a fairly like, no, like psychiatrists, no mind control ways or whatever to not get killed by their patients, but they don't. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting statistic. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the actual paranormal stuff that they use in the sixth sense and maybe ways that it has been used in real life. Okay. Um, and the first thing is the cold spots in the room. And you know, Cole says that whenever the ghosts get angry, there's a cold spot. And of course, the famous he says, "When I see dead people, uh, <laughs> like his, you know, his, you can see his breath." Um, and of course, Bruce Willis's wife. Whenever he's in the room, you see her oh, shivering, yeah, right. and 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 cold spots. It's a classic ghost kind of thing. And during the uh, during the filming of the movie, uh, M Night Shyamalan actually said that there was no way uh, to make CG breath, computer-generated imagery uh, breath, look as good as they just did when they just put an ice box in the room. Like, they made the room as cold as possible. Um, they filmed most of the interiors in this uh, old convention hall in Philadelphia, and so they could just, like, leave the heat off while they were shooting, and that would make it cold enough where you could see their breath. Which is funny, because when I was just re re-watching it, you know, the second time I've seen it 20 years later... I thought the I actually thought it looked like bad CG. <laughs> You're thinking like every time I saw that. No, that, that was real. And that and, was real. And the thing mm. is, in paranormal investigations, a lot um, the cold spot in a room where that shouldn't be cold, it may be the indication of something there. Most of the time, temperature drops are used to kind of vindicate some other piece of evidence. And let's see if I have my if I brought my oh wow humidity and temperature show detector, and tell right. <laughs> So you get one of these off of Amazon, and they're like 30 bucks or whatever, and it's a humidity meter, and like scientists use them and things, and also guys that go into haunted, built, like haunted quote-unquote buildings to see if there's any kind of stuff. So you, this little humidity meter, if um, like right now it's 68 degrees in this room, uh, I'm a little hotter because I'm wearing a scarf, but that's because I'm a victim of fashion, not paranormal. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, when you hold it out, like certain parts of the room might be five, six degrees colder than another part. And that's just has a, the probe right at the end of it. It's not like picking up the temperature over there or something. Right? Correct. Okay. So when you're in a certain area, so like the idea of cold spots being uh, the uh, 
like the, the harbinger of a paranormal event. I mean, that's, a, that's pretty standard in paranormal stuff. The thing is, though, people will just say, like, oh, it feels totally colder in this right. room. Right, you notice it. It's, it's an easily noticeable thing. Right, but that's why you need the little meter or whatever to yeah. be like, okay, over here it's five degrees different. Now, that could be the placement of, you know, anything else. Right. But when it's accompanied by um, something like an EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, we'll talk about in a second, or it's accompanied by a flashing of the lights or a change of the electromagnetic field. Um, they have these little EMF meters. And these are, you see these on ghost adventures and ghost hunters all the time. And whenever, um, you know, it detects electromagnetic fields and also uh, changes in the electromagnetic field. So when you're, uh, like, so when you put them next to your phone or whatever, they're going to take off a little bit. But let's say you turned your phone off like a good paranormal investigator. And you're going somewhere. And, uh, you know, I thought that these were pretty silly for a long time until I've been in a couple investigations. We are at one at the um, Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And we're talking to an artifact. And it felt like the silliest thing in the world because you're just like, all right, do you have anything you want to tell us? And then it goes, bing. I'm like, come on. And then we started asking questions, and it kept on binging, binging, like in response to it. Now, is that necessarily a haunting? Is that necessarily an intelligent apparition or something? No. It could be just us thinking about it and making it happen kind of thing. But the fact that it was responding in that situation, and there's been a million other situations where I've been like, is there a spirit in the room? And nothing happens. Um, I'd say like 99% nothing ever happens with the K2 meter. So when it does, all of a sudden you're thinking, okay. But you accompany, so let's say you get a change in humidity, a change in temperature, and then a change in the electromagnetic field, and it's accompanied by something, um, uh, you know, an EVP happening on your recorder. Then you're like, all right. Um, you kind of use those things like cold spots um, and elect EMF readings to kind of bring it all together so it's not just one kind of anomaly happening. It's several types of anomaly happening. And then you can be like, okay, something weird happened here. I don't know what it is, but something weird. Yeah. Getting back to the cold spots uh, and the, measuring the temperature too, you'll see a lot, on a lot of the ghost hunting programs where they use like a thermal imaging shot so that, you know, if something happens and they'll go back and look at the footage and see like a blue handprint or something. You know? I mean, that would, be, well, yeah. that would be awesome actually, but right. usually it's more of just, you know, visually being able to see where the cold spots are, but you can actually buy thermal um, lenses that connect to your phone or whatever for relatively cheaply. A absolutely, and even if you don't want to use it for paranormal things, maybe you just want to pretend you're the predator. Or check your barbecue grill. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, this is something, uh, so obviously when Cole sees spirits, um, he sees them like we, he's, like we think of Bruce Willis. In the movie, like a um, solid form, like like a person sitting there. <laughs> right. So the thing is, in real life, Bruce Willis, if you see him as a ghost, he obviously wouldn't have any hair, <laughs> and he didn't have any hair in 1999. Uh, but in the you know, as the, in the ghost, he did. Um, but when you're watching the movie, you know, the ghosts are solid as regular. It's it's like somebody. It's like you guys sitting there, or Wendy sitting next to me. Um, when we talk to psychic <laughs> mediums, that's the first question I always ask, um, because. I have seen a couple of weird things, but I would never say that I see dead people. But we talk to people often who say that they see dead or people. Or they communicate with dead people. And right. I always wonder that too, what does it feel like? But it's a sixth sense. So it's a sense that those of us who don't have it, it's really hard to describe. It's like trying to explain what something tastes like to somebody who doesn't have taste buds or something, you know? Right. The thing is, um, 
You know, there's a couple of ways that people see dead people fairly frequently for people who are not psychic like me. I'm actually probably anti-psychic. When I get around psychics, they can't seem to do anything either. Um, it's, it seems that um, crisis apparitions happen when maybe someone you love is passing away and then you'll see them walk by your room or something. A lot of times what'll happen is uh, people will think, they'll, they'll say that um, someone's walking, they'll see like somebody walking around the stairs or they think their mom's home or they think their brother's home and, like, and they see them and then maybe they don't talk to them, um, but they see them there, but there's no way they could have possibly be there because it's the time they died in a car accident or in the hospital or things like that. And so these crisis apparitions seem to be the most common kind of way that people see dead people. And I mean, I've got several like crisis apparitions that happened in my family of where, um, you know, I had a couple of cousins and when their mother passed, um, they, they talked about the, the day before she passed, they had the same dream about her. That's cool. In the same room, the same thing. And they, they were saying like, you know, did you, I had a dream about mom last night. Like, and then I think this is going to sound weird, but you were there. And his brother was like, no, I, I was in the dream too. And, and so these are regular not psychic, working class kind of people who wouldn't be the kind of people we, they, when I talk about ghost stuff, they're like, that's stupid. Except for the time I shared a dream with my brother and our dead mother <laughs> right. visited us. Um, that one time. It's always so, something extreme too, right. usually. And so these, so crisis apparitions can often be very physical things or they can be something like receiving a phone call. Um, interestingly enough, um, I was talking to somebody who was, like a guy that worked at Verizon in maybe a higher level. And he was saying, well, we, we don't know exactly why these things happen. And he goes, most of the time, they're probably just, um, uh, that they're, they're just missed, like mistimed phone calls. But he's like, we don't get a lot of mistimed phone calls. But the number of times that people report that they had a voicemail left to them after somebody they loved had died, and then they got the voicemail later. And the, um, is, is, a, is a fairly frequent occurrence. It, it occurs a lot more frequently than you think it does. And so um, those kind of things where the guy from Verizon, was he's like, yes, that absolutely happens. And no, we don't have an explanation for it. Um, it's, it's those kind of things that make you think, okay, maybe there's something to it. But the, the most common kind of seeing dead people for regular people like maybe me or Wendy who aren't psychic or whatever is a crisis apparition and someone appearing to you. And that can often be something very solid, like that person's in the room mm -hmm. with you. Um, but, yes, as you were saying, with the, um, the psychic mediums that we've met and talked to, and they'll just, you know, they'll kind of look at you and be like, I see, or you're, yeah, there's a person there. And it's, I just, I wish I could experience, I wish I could know what it is that they're feeling or seeing, you know, because I want to know, sometimes I see you hear weird things, see or hear weird things, and I'm like, ooh, is that, am I receiving a message? But usually right. it's just my brain, you know, interpreting a pattern or something like that. But I've, I always ask them, like, can you try to describe what it is, you know, are you, are you seeing a person? Are you seeing a, an aura or whatever? And very few people are able to answer that because, yeah. like I said, it's a sixth sense. It's not something that I can relate to. But uh, we did have a guest on our show who I thought did a really good job of explaining um, how she receives messages from angels. That's that right. Yeah. And so she, she, she said that uh, she had seen her dead aunt or whatever when she was like three years old. And that was the first time she was asking her mother, um, who's the lady next to her? And her mother just thought she was kidding or whatever. And yeah. she was describing what she was wearing. And uh, her mom's like, that, 
that person's not with us anymore. She's like, well, she's standing right next to you. She pat me on the head, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, which is uh, freaky. Uh, I guess not, because it's a but, friendly aunt. It's not like a deadly aunt. Yeah, but she said that the angels that spoke to her sounded kind of like Yoda. Yeah, well, we have which, an MP3 of her, <laughs> what she said. It's half in my head and half out of my head. And that that took a little getting used to. At first, it sounds like an overtone. Like, have you ever heard? Well, of course, you're a musician. It sounds like rolling harmonics, uh, kind of cascading harmonics. It's tonal first. And then it falls into a sentence. And oftentimes, the sentence is chunky and blocky. And it may have five or eight words. Yet each word has this massive attachment to it. So as the translator, I will say the sentence and then I'll say, and I wish I could give you an example, but unless it's actually happening, it's a little rough. Um, then I will say, okay, so here is the actual, you know, here's, I'll say this angel is saying blah. What they mean is, and then in our colloquial discussion, English is a horrendously linear language. I've got to unpack all of that and explain the nuances and explain what this means. And that means because the nuances, the gray areas are contained in the tonal overringing. So there's a five or six or eight or 12 words or whatever that are just semi-oddly placed. And it reminds me of, have you ever seen the use of ghost boxes on paranormal shows where these... Okay, I feel like a living ghost box. I feel like they're beaming through things and whatever the most relevant concrete word to represent a multi-concept is being pulled and then kapunk, 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 kapunk. Because they certainly don't speak English. I mean, they speak whatever and they've got to make sure I understand that. So it comes in, it comes in as a tone and it forms into a funky sentence that I get to unpack to make some sense. So I thought that was a great, it really helped me kind of understand as as well as a person with only five senses can the experience that she has when she's talking to dead people. You know, what I think is interesting about that, too, is that the use of language. Um, so when, think about how when somebody is writing you a text message, and we all have friends who are like text challenged, textually challenged, maybe. <coughs> they send you a text, and you're like, oh, that person just sounds like a jerk, or I have no idea what they mean. And it's because you're missing the nuance. When you talk to them in real life, that they're fine socially, but it's, it's the, the text is just the words and it doesn't have the facial expression or the body language or anything like that. And then I think the way she was describing was that she gets a series of words and then the harmonics kind of imply uh, what the meaning. So the harmonics that come through that she hears are the body language and the nuances. And so I just thought that was an interesting way to describe talking to uh, some kind of entity. You know, I don't know what what it is or whatever she's talking to. Dead people. It's obviously dead people. Um, But speaking of talking to dead people, um, I I think Bruce Willis gets convinced that Cole, in in the movie, he gets convinced that Cole is telling the truth when he listens back to this uh, audio tape where he's interviewing the guy that killed him, Vincent Gray. And so Bruce Willis is interviewing, uh, interviewing him. He was recording it. He steps out of the room, and then he hears this voice in Spanish. So, or Italian or something. Maybe. I, th- I thought it was in Spanish. Sp- Spanish, and he says something, and he's like, and it means in Spanish, I don't want to die. That's um, a creepy, one of the creepiest moments in the movie, I think, that, that like goosebumps. And so that's how he realizes 
that Vincent, uh, the guy that killed him, was afflicted by the same kind of thing that Cole is, that he, can, that he could see dead people too. And so it's that EVP, it's that recording, um, even though he couldn't hear it in regular life, um, somehow the tape picked it up. And that's probably one of the most, you know, the popular things that they do in paranormal investigations today is that you'll say in the room, is there anybody here? You know, like, it's the usual. It's like, can you tell me your name? Um, and then you can't hear anything, but then sometimes things get picked up on a digital or, or a tape recorder. Uh, or people just use their phones, too. Like, there's EVP finder apps and things like that. And it's basically just a regular digital recorder it can get. But the idea is that maybe the digital thing can pick, or somehow that the spirit can use the energy or they can make an imprint of what they want heard onto the recorder that they can't do to your ears. Right. And so, you know, interestingly enough, the guy that came up with EVPs, his name was Friedrich Jürgensen, and he wrote a book uh, in the late 60s called Voice Transmissions with the Deceased. Um, and he was originally interested in recording bird songs. And uh, what happened was, while he was just recording the songs of birds, uh, he was starting to get other voices coming through his tape recorder. And he talks about that in his book, uh, Voice Transmissions with the Deceased. And he didn't really sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger in real life, but it was really close. Um, and so Friedrich Jürgensen, um, he was finding that uh, he was getting these voices, and he thought that the voices were from space. And that's funny because Tesla thought the same thing um, when he was working on the radio in uh, the, the early 20th century. He thought that he was talking to people from Mars. Um, but he was getting strange voices coming through his radio. And he's like, they must be from Mars. Now, Friedrich Jürgensen also thought they were coming from space and thought they were aliens or, you know, some, some other place. Uh, but he realized that it must be ghosts when he heard his mother's voice come through. And so he was recording it and he heard his mother's voice and she called him by his nickname and asked him if Aww. he was there. And so that made Friedrich uh, Jürgensen realize that he may be having a voice transmission. Pretty compelling. And so, <laughs> and you know, he released an album and things like that. And so EVPs um, in the beginning, you know, was just a guy in a tape recorder and he thought he was gonna record like pretty bird, uh, you know, pretty bird songs, and it ended up changing his entire life because he did a lot of research then into uh, trying to communicate with the dead through that. And so you'll often see on, uh, you know, they always do EVPs on the ghost reality shows, obviously, you know, and they use a Zoom like this one and carry it out and they'll ask the spirit some questions or use the phone. And we did a, a ghost investigation at Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh, okay, I'll go back to that one and play it for you. We did it at Ripley's Believe It or Not in the Wisconsin Dells earlier this summer. Now, it's a museum there, if you guys have ever been up there in the Dells. And it's a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of like weird artifacts and things there. And like there's a, the brain of a dead German serial killer. Um, that's, I guess that's, that's fun. I guess extremely that's, weird. I guess that's fun. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. And so we did a ghost hunt the last day at about 1 o'clock in the morning. And we had a group of people. It was mainly people from Chicago. It's the Dells, right? Uh, and so, and, and we're up there. And we're doing this investigation. And people that I had interviewed and discussed about different hauntings and who had worked there said, you know, the weirdest thing is probably the hair dryers that turn on and off on their own. And I'm like, okay. Hand dryers. Hand dryers. Right? Right, hand dryers. <laughs> not like not blow dryers, but like the hand dryers in the men and women's bathroom would turn it off 
on and off on their own. And I'm like, okay, I I guess that's weird. But like, we've been there for about three hours. And if you've ever been on a ghost investigation, you know that as you get into like hour four and five um, and nothing's going on, you're getting pretty tired. And like, what am I doing with my life? Like I used to have promise and things like that. And I used to have hope. Um, but instead, I'm uh, here inside this weird museum. Asking questions. At, at 1230, <laughs> asking questions into, the, the, empty into the ether. And, and so, but, but, so I'm sitting there and I actually was sitting on a bed made of duct tape. Uh, outside of the, the women's bathroom. And uh, there was another guy who was sitting there and he's like, did you hear that? And I'm like, no. He's like, the, hair, or the, the hand dryer's on. I'm like, oh yeah, I hear that. He's like, nobody's been in that bathroom for five minutes. And I'm like, wait, but I heard it like three times. He's like, me too. I'm like, okay. So I guess we heard that, but that could be an electrical thing, whatever. But this coming up is an EVP that I heard um, that somebody who was on the investigation, her name is Ursula Bielski, and she runs the Chicago Hauntings Tour and the Chicago Hauntings Paranormal Convention we just went to last week. That was really fun. But um, she was taking her laptop, like not a, not a voice recorder, not her phone. She was taking her full laptop, walking around and doing EVPs. She went into the bathroom uh, maybe 20 minutes uh, after we said we'd heard the hair dryers turn on and off, and then she was just asking some questions, and uh, here's what she picked up. Okay, did anybody did anybody hear anything there? Yeah, what did you hear? A, a sentence. Okay, you should play it again. Okay, because it goes quickly. Oh, well, this is a it's, good test to see what you guys is, can get. Because it's open for interpretation, obviously. We don't know. No, the, I'll tell you, the first time I listened to it, I totally heard, I'll get you, Ursula. That's what I heard. Now, I'm going to say, and, and I heard that before. Like, she's like, hey, check out these cool EVPs I got. Um, and then she just plays them and didn't have any particular uh, the sentence associated with it. Like, I just put that in your head. Now, see if we play it again, see if you hear that. Do you guys hear that then? So <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing too. Like once you, like on TV, they'll always put the EVP up, like the, what they think it says, even before you have a yeah. chance to listen to it. So um, I heard that I'll get you. And I'm like, if I got that EVP, I'd have been like, I'm never going back. I'd to, be sleeping you know, with one eye open. Right, I'd be like, believe it. I don't believe, you know, right. believe it or not. But I mean. But the fact that the voice also just sounded like. <laughs> Like it was scary sounding. And you you could hear that the hair dryer in the background. So little things like that. Like that. Never mind. All right. Uh, Speaking of (laughs) imprinted and cursed objects. Uh, There's the part. That was pretty good. Nice. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for catching your cue there, guitar. Um, There's the part in the movie where Olivia Williams' character, uh, Bruce Willis's former wife, or Bruce Willis's widow, put it, right. um, she's talking to that young couple, and they're going to get married, and she's talking about the former owners of the ring. And saying, you know, and it's a comedy moment because the guy's like, oh, wouldn't you like something plainer? Because he doesn't want to spend that much money on the the engagement ring. And uh, she says, like, she's imagining the person that had the ring before. Yeah, you know? and 
and she's being very romantic and, and an extremely awesome salesperson there. A good example for anybody trying to learn sales. But, you know, she's a genuine character. And, and so in that scene, she's talking about the concept of people leaving an imprint on an object and then it, it remaining with the object after that person is done owning it. And this is a concept in the paranormal world um, that is often associated with dolls. There's, there's famous dolls such as Annabelle mm-hmm. or Robert the doll down in Florida. And it's just the belief that, you know, if somebody like a, a little child has this doll that they love so much and they're carrying it around and hugging it all the time and taking it everywhere they go and just putting their energy into it constantly that, you know, they might take that object someday as they grow out of that or whatever happens. It goes to goodwill, but it still has the energy that that human has imparted on it or imprinted on it. Right. And some days it's, it's beautiful like Toy Story. And some days it's like child's play. <laughs> so I guess you never know what you're going to get. Right. But imprinting or having an imprint in an object is also kind of makes me think of the whole stone tape theory, mm-hmm. which is, you know, where a lot of um, residual hauntings people believe when an event happened that was extremely powerful or traumatic or just intense that the surroundings absorb some of that energy and hold on to it and then release it over time again and again and then people are experiencing that as several people seeing the same ghost you know walking through a room or uh they'll see i remember in nashville there was a train station that had several people saw the same thing a soldier and a woman embracing and then leaving that was related to a story there, but oh yeah, at the but, First Avenue in Minneapolis, uh, in the in the bathroom, people will often see like a like what they think is a Vietnam veteran, like a, wearing the fatigues and things like that. Wow. And so several different people have seen, like dressed in that kind of outfit, not really doing anything, just walking through it. And the idea that maybe they went to a concert there or something like that, and somehow they left their energy. And it, it's this idea, so when you think about vinyl records, vinyl, it's the grooves in the record, and when the, when the needle goes over the groove, then sound is played. Well, okay, that works with audio. Well, what would happen if somehow visuals were enabled, uh, able to burn themselves into the walls somewhere, like sound can be uh, embedded into the grooves of a record. And, then, and when the right conditions are happening, it just replays it like a videotape. doesn't mean the ghost is there coming to get you. What it means is you're re-watching something that happened several, you know. Yeah, or how, however the event is captured in that mm-hmm. object or that wall might be transmitting itself, you know, into your mind psychically somehow. And if you, if you want to know, like, the... They call it the stone tape theory um, because there was a, a BBC movie made in 1972 called The Stone Tape. And uh, it was by a guy named Nigel Keneally who uh, more popularly wrote uh, Quatermass. So if you've seen Quatermass in the Pit or Five Million Years to Earth or the Quatermass Experiment or anything like that, um, it's the same author as that. And because I love that, he was a big influence on Doctor Who. And so I love to watch all that uh, like late 1950s and early 1960s British sci-fi and the stone tape uh, movie uh, isn't like it's cool because they now we named a whole paranormal theory after it and so yeah. um, but that idea of the imprint and idea that an object could be cursed now if you want to see cursed objects in real life there are several places that you can see cursed objects in real life and there's several haunted museums out there number one if you guys go to Las Vegas 
you can go to Zach Baggins Haunted Museum and see the guy from Ghost Adventures place. And anybody been there? All right. Well, this guy right yeah, here. You bet I've been. That was the first. That's funny. We get off the plane, and I told my wife, like, she's like, "What do you want to do today?" And I'm like, "Zach Baggins Haunted Museum." <laughs> And she's like, what, for real? I'm like, like, great. Hell yeah. So, uh, and that was like the first day in like eight years that it snowed in Las Vegas too. So we went from downtown to the museum. It was about a mile and a half. And it was amazing. Um, there, there's actually a haunted doll there which has a spirit box playing. Um, if you guys haven't seen a spirit box, what this does is that it runs through the channels and it sweeps through the channels and then you try to... Uh, so it just goes through, and then it stops certain places, and sometimes people hear words. Um, but they have a spirit box going at like, oh, I'd say 85 decibels in this room with a haunted doll. And it's like, see what you can pick up and ask the doll questions. And it's really fun. Um, but there's little things like that where you can see this. Uh, one is a, um, a cauldron that Ed Gein supposedly boiled off the skin uh, in the people that he had um, exhumed. Um, and so that cauldron there is supposed to be cursed, like the people that carried it around um, supposedly died shortly after or got some kind of cancer. All of that is completely unverified, but that does not mean that the Haunted Museum isn't a lot of fun. But that's not the only place you can go to see it. Mm-hmm. There's also Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are the couple who were made popular by the movie The Conjuring, um, is a fictionalization of their um, adventures. Um, but they had that doll, Annabelle, and if you're looking up there, you can see there's Annabelle inside the museum. Now, the Annabelle doll in the movie, obviously, is the scariest doll in the history of dolls. Like, if so, who would buy that doll for their kid right. except a sadist? <laughs> Here, honey. Like, oh, right. Have this doll. You'll never sleep again. Um, so the real Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann. It's Raggedy Ann. And it's just so simple. And they, but they keep her locked up, and they say, don't touch her, because uh, the people they'd got Annabelle from you know, horrible things that happened to them. And that's the idea. Plus, uh, what Wendy's looking at the bottom there, um, <laughs> there is the Traveling Museum of Paranormal and the Occult. And you can often see it at conventions. And that's run by Greg and Dana Newkirk uh, from planetweird.com. And you can see different items and touch them and play with them in real life. And that's a lot of fun. But and Wendy, Wendy's looking at a psychomantium, <laughs> uh, which is a black mirror. Uh, and, and the idea of the psychomantium is if you stare in it long enough, things start appearing to you. And so this psychomantium was only, people had stared at it and had only seen like evil things appear to them or they'd seen their face as an old person or their face with a skull and everything. Um, I was looking at it and I still looked good, so I wasn't sure exactly what that was about. But um, Wendy, did you see anything in the psychomantium? No, I just noticed I had to fix my lipstick a little bit there. <laughs> right, so I was like, how did I get so old? Um, I was young and exciting when The Sixth Sense came out. Uh, so, but the thing is, um, so this idea though of imprinted objects and cursed objects, that's something that is very popular in the paranormal world and there's places and, and people you can visit who can show you cursed items that they've collected over the years. Um, and so another thing they talk and they, they, they show in the movie is poltergeist activity. Uh, if you remember the scene where uh, Bruce Willis's widow is given that guy that's interested in her a little kiss, you know, and it looks like, and you're thinking when you first watch the movie, you're like, she's cheating on Bruce Willis. She's in for a world of hurt or something, you know. Um, and what happens is Bruce Willis breaks the glass and, and walks off. 
And they're shocked because the glass broke for no reason, right? It's like, oh my God. Um, well, when something crazy like that happens and there's no visual part of it, um, that's poltergeist activity, which in German just means noisy ghost. And so people see, like, people having those things like a, a, a spoon flying across the room or a plate. Or the cupboards open. opening and closing. Right. But yet it's not, a, or even like a banging on the wall or a chandelier shaking. That kind of thing um, is a, you know, a poltergeist. And so I think the popular idea of the poltergeist, at least from the 1970s, was that it wasn't actually a spirit or an entity who was causing it. It was uh, psychic activity happening within a teenager because poltergeists are usually centered around teenage girls, uh, specifically. Sometimes boys, but oftentimes girls. There's a famous case in Milwaukee uh, in the late 19th century uh, of a 15-year-old girl who was working in a boarding house, and all of a sudden all this poltergeist activity was, was happening to her all the time. And it got so bad that the person that... Um, the people that were staying at the boarding house were like local factory workers. The owner of the factory came down to see what was going on. And uh, he's like, when I was in the room, crazy stuff happened, you know, with the girl. And then when she left, it stopped happening. So she ended up getting fired uh, because of supposed Sad. poltergeist activity in the late 19th century. Um, so it's, it, it's often attached. And I think it's kind of like puberty gone wild, <laughs> you know, because... Uh, Extreme. <laughs> Your hormones will all of a sudden create these, you know, create these emotions that then can affect the things around you. And so if you're sensitive or angry or upset, then a, a plate will break or a window will break or something like that. So that idea of poltergeist attaching itself to adolescence um, is a very 1970s kind of thing. I think it's fairies, but that's a discussion for another time. Uh, and so, like, that broken window is one example. But another example is the necklace that keeps on going back and forth. So, Wendy, what's that about? Well, that's just, uh, there is a type of haunting that is referred to as an apport. And it's just when you put your keys down and then you go back and they're not where you left them. But then they might return, like, a week later or something like that. And that's a term used for kind of a mischievous, playful ghost that likes to mess with you I guess. likes to hide stuff on you <laughs> right so the bumblebee necklace that uh cole keeps getting blamed for in the movie for taking his grandma's his uh well right. his mother's necklace from the grandma uh, he's getting accused of that but it's it's really just the, the apport right and, moving and, it around you know and speaking of that particular scene i mean that kind of uh you know it's the unfinished business ghost mm -hmm. so um, obviously, when uh, the Tony Collette and is talking to uh, Haley Joel Osment in the car, and that's the like tearjerker the scene, the climax of the movie. And it's funny, I was I was reading um, an oral history of the Sixth Sense, and M Night Shyamalan wasn't sure that the cameras were working during that scene, but he was running out of money, and so after it was done, after it was done, the big scene, the big cry of your eyes out scene of the movie. Um, Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment were just like emotionally spent. They're like, you got it, right? And uh, he's thinking, I don't think I have it. Like, he thought he did not get the scene. And he was oh, like, man. He's like, he's like, they're going to murder me if we have to shoot this again. I have to, and he's like, I'm going to have to ask more money to shoot this again. Um, but then he ended up getting it. But he was totally, he was terrified at the time. Uh, but it was that idea. So that particular scene of the movie, um, Cole, uh, Haley Joel Osment's character, tells his mother, um, about his grandmother, about his grandmother, her mother, um, saying hi. And she's like, that's not funny. 
and then he goes and describes to her um, some gives inform- her the message. Yeah, some information that only that you know his grandmother could know, and it's the, that his grandmother's proud of her, and that his mother never got to realize that in you know while while his, her mother was alive. So it's a really powerful scene, and it's it's like a it's a verification of that he's talking to dead people and stuff, but it's this idea of unfinished business um, that seems to drive a lot of. Uh, like if you go see a psychic medium or a gallery reading or something, um, it seems like a, a lot of times a, a spirit will like say like, okay, your aunt has something to tell you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's little like I'm proud of you, like uh, Cole wanted his mother to hear. Or sometimes it can be like, I, want, I need you to watch out for your brother or something like, you know, little messages like that. But it's that unfinished business that we'll often hear about in ghost stories and in real life paranormal events, that there's something they, they needed to do, but they couldn't finish doing before they died. And they need to get that last message across. And so I thought that was really powerful that that was, instead of the climax of the movie being, um, well, like taking the, the mother to jail who did the, the Munchausen syndrome by proxy and was poisoning her daughter. That's Misha Barton from the OC. I didn't realize that. Um, and, she, you know, she was like 12 at the time they were filming the movie. And she thought that the set was haunted, uh, the actual old Philadelphia Convention Center. And I looked it up. I couldn't find any ghost stories specifically about the Philadelphia Convention Center. And it probably just because she was a 12-year-old girl and she was working on a, uh, a set um, about a ghost story. Scary. It's gonna f- and, and they're keeping it cold all the time so yeah. you can feel your breath. You're going to think that the place is haunted. Um, but you'd think that that would be the climax <laughs> of the film, that this is going to be, they, they bring this woman to justice uh, for poisoning her daughter. And such a, uh, such a powerful moment. But instead, it's the moment with the mother. Well, or the moment when Bruce Willis... Oh, when she drops oh, his right, wedding right. ring the on the real, floor. You know, I forget the real climax of the movie is when Bruce, <laughs> he he realizes Bruce he's Willis dead. is dead. It's just, it's so fast to the ending after Yeah, that. yeah, right. You know, there's, you know, it's just like, oh, Bruce Willis is dead, holy crap. <laughs> and then uh, the movie ends. And, and you're like, how did I not see that coming? You're terrified the walking movie. home. Um, you know, Munchausen uh, syndrome by proxy is... That's what happens when a Munchausen syndrome is not just hypochondria. It's not just ma- like it's not the idea that you think you're sick. It's making up that you're sick so you can get attention. By proxy means that uh, you are making someone else sick so that you get the attention for taking care of them. And it's a very really a rare thing. They call it Munchausen syndrome. There's a movie called The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is a Terry Gilliam film about this guy that tells tall tales and crazy stories. It's named after that character, not from that movie, but from the legend of, of uh, Baron Munchausen um, that they created Munchausen syndrome. And so um, also... Poltergeist events, when you talk about adolescence, a lot of times these things happen in homes that are have abuse and, and things like that going on it. And it's not necessarily paranormal. Um, one of my friends used to be a, a ghost hunter in Milwaukee, and he went. He had a group with a police officer, and they went to a lot of different places. And after a couple of years, he said, you know, I don't really believe in ghosts anymore. Uh, I'm like, why? He's like, because all the places we go to, it's mostly just abuse and addiction. And he goes, um, it's, he's like, I don't believe in ghosts as much as I believe in evil. And I'm like, thanks for that. Yeah, that really takes the fun out of ghost hunting, <laughs> oh, isn't it? Yeah, right. But um, that idea, though, that, I mean, poltergeist activity is often a mask for abuse. And so I thought that was just an interesting part of the movie. 
All right. So um, we're reaching the end of our time. For anybody, this is going to be, you guys were here, so you have to listen to it again. But we have 269 episodes of the See You on the Other Side podcast. Uh, and every week we have a song associated with, you know, inspired or a song we've written that kind of pertains to the discussion because um, we're musicians, we play in a band, and you can check all that stuff out, all of the episodes at othersidepodcast.com. And yeah. if you missed anything today, feel free to check out episode 270. Yep, episode 270. Which will be this conversation. So Other if there's something you missed or you want to come back Perfect. and check. And uh, we're going to play you guys a song real quick before we head out. Yeah, we got a couple minutes. Well, it's always fun coming to Wizard World and seeing the amazing costumes and cosplay and imagination that everybody puts into creating the characters that make these events so much fun. For the song this week, we reached back into the archives for a track that we released not too long after The Sixth Sense came out. We thought that the chorus fit perfectly for this film where a child finally finds someone that believes in him and he can stop being afraid of the ghosts that surround him. So, here's our old school sunspot song to go along with the 20th anniversary of The Sixth Sense, Flower Child.
you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at OthersidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Once again, we want to thank everyone who joined us for the live recording of this episode at Wizard World Madison last weekend. We'd also like to thank our Patreon supporters, the community for See You on the Other Side that chats with us, shares their ideas with us, and helps us to better understand what our listeners are interested in. So thank you very much. We really appreciate everything you do for us. And we look forward to the monthly hangouts that we have, which we do have one coming up very soon. Also, a huge shout out to Dr. Ned, who's supporting us at the level where he gets this shout out every single week. And truly, sincerely, Ned, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for all that you've done for us and for continuing to be such an enthusiastic supporter of Sunspot and of See You on the Other Side. Everybody have an awesome Halloween, a great week, and we'll catch you next week. what am I doing with my life? Like I used to have promise and things like that. And I used to have hope. Um, but instead I'm uh, here inside this weird museum asking questions at, at 1230 <laughs> asking questions into to the, the empty air. into the ether.